0: life. Okay, ready to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're continuing the sixth chapter of, of Miguel Sester. And you'll remember that we talked last week in great detail about Tokfishalness, what happened that night and how amazing things start to unfold. But really all of these miracles are hidden. They don't seem like miracles. Right? There's some royal insomnia, the king can't sleep. Okay, king can't sleep. He had a lot of wine. He should have been able to sleep. Okay, but he couldn't. He had a bad dream. Okay, bad dreams happen. There doesn't really seem to be a, 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 any, any overt and obvious miracle here. And we've talked about this, that the whole idea of the Purim Megillah is that there are no overt, obvious miracles. Things are happening. It seems natural, but when you talk about it sequentially, and you talk about how everything happens to happen at a certain time, it's compelling. That says, oh, there's the hand of Hashem, there's a Yad Hashem, fingerprints of God are obvious. So I'm going to challenge this thesis today because in the second verse, which we started to study already, but I want to return to it a little bit, it says, after the words, Let's even go back to verse 1. It says, that these words would be read. Achashverosh reaches for his chronicles, for his Book of Remembrance. And Rashi told us this was the kind of thing they used to do when they couldn't sleep. They had chronicles, boring speeches read to them. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's what he did to fall asleep. It's not really unusual, but it says v'yihiyu nikroyim and the Yalkut Shimoni tells us and the words v'yihiyu nikroyim that this happened me'elehen, that the book would read itself it was a talking book. And actually the Al is not the only place where it says it. It actually says it in the Gemara. The Gemara says, the this teaches us, they were it was reading itself. It was a talking book without being read. And with regard to why that's the case, how how that's indicated, the marshal says, because it, it's written the yiyu but it should have said the He says it should have had a shva under the vav, and it said, instead of saying now the word reads vayiunikroyim, and they were being read, instead it should have said viyu. Since it doesn't say viyu, it says vayiyu. So the grammar indicates that it's happening by itself. And then there's another interpretation in the, in the words of the Gemara that says that the assumption would have been. That that it would've that it would have would have said, Vayu it sounds as if immediately, not that the books were brought, and then somebody came to read, and then the books were read, but as the books were brought, they were reading themselves. Okay, that's so the Yaakuchimony comments on this, the same idea is found with Gemara also. Ya'quimoni says, Yaakov have shimbi says, Altisma, don't get excited, it's not such a big deal, it's not called an overt miracle. We have already seen something like this. Where do we see it? When the land of Israel was being apportioned, so it says there was a Goral, there was a lottery. Interesting connection to Purim. And it says the lottery spoke. It says, Al Goral, by mouth, by virtue of the speaking, the mouth of the Goral. Since it's Al ha Goral, by virtue of its mouth, we have a a, a concept which is talking about in the Gemara and the Medrash. Rashi even quotes it, Shutash Mikra, that the Goral was Medaber. And the Goral, the, the piece of paper itself said, I go to such and such a tribe. So the Akhachimoni says, When we speak of creating peace amongst the different tribes, because everybody's going to get jealous. As you know, the grass is greener on the other side. So I got this piece of land. Why did you get that piece of land? It's not fair. Somebody is stacking the board. Somebody did something to undermine our tribe, and we're not getting the piece of land or the province we deserve. So everything was worked out. But there was a nasi, a leader from each and every tribe was involved in the selection of the piece of paper of of the, of the of the of the the lottery and and not only this but there was two lotteries and you could see that things lined up perfectly and not, in addition to all this there was even a miraculous reality of a talking piece of paper today day and age it's not so strange to have a talking book or a talking slip this is, happens all the time today but those days it was a big miracle and the Yalkut seems to play it down and says it's not such a big deal if if they can have a book or a piece of paper that talks in order to bring about peace amongst the Jewish people, as they divide their land. Okay, So we had a talking book over here, over here to, to save an entire nation. All right, see, al wants to downplay the fact that there's such a miracle. They don't get excited about this miracle. However, this does provoke a little bit of a question. Up until this point, we haven't encountered overt, obvious miracles for the most part. Achashverosh wasn't planning to extend his s- uh, scepter, and then he extended a scepter. He didn't even know why he extended a scepter to Esther. It's very hard to call that a miracle, the fact that a man was holding a, a scepter and then he decided to extend it, he could, people do things all the time and they ask themselves later, why did I do that for? But this is a miracle. This is a, this is a talking book. I'm, okay. Yachemitesh <laughs> says, it's not so unusual. It happened once. Sure, it happened a thousand years earlier when the lands of Israel were being divided. This is in the same time when manna was falling from heaven every day, when a miraculous uh, spring of water was available, and they're surrounded by cloud control with, with, with the Ananiya covered. So in a time of miracles, maybe it wasn't such a big deal. Seemingly, it would be a big deal here. Rav downplays it. Downplays it. it it's not mamash and Pshat Rashi doesn't say anything. As you see, Masha discusses what's, what exactly is even the diuk. How does the Gemara deduct this? What's the exact analysis? How the Gemara comes to the conclusion that it's, it's, it should have said, or it said, or, or maybe indicates that it's being read immediately? Okay. Which brings us to verse 2. But so this is like a, I'm going to put this question out there. This seem, we seem to be experiencing like an overt, overt miracle here. It doesn't seem to be the typical Megillah style. This doesn't seem to be this notion that everything is dressed in, in the guise of nature. But the scripture seems to indicate it. We go to verse two. It says, kosov. he found written, Asher Higid Mordechai, that Mordechai was the one who told Al Big Son of Aseresh. He is the one who revealed the plot, the scheming of Bigson and Seresh, who were Shnei Hamelach, who were two people very close to the king, who probably could have gotten away with this. Meshay Asaf. They were, they were, so to speak, right in there. Uh, people who were, who had a an access. They were, they were the guardians of the threshold of the king's door. So they were right there. Access was there, and presumably, when people get that close, they can do as they please. They wouldn't get caught, but Mordechai did rat them out. They sought to extend the hand, which is a, a euphemism for baleful intent. They sought to harm Achashverosh. The king. Okay, so on a literal level, Kosov, whatever, Kosov, he found. it. do you mean he found? You, you're looking for something that's lost, you find it. How, how did he find it? So on a very, very literal level, you could say, you know, this was something that happened in the past. Akashveresh forgot about it. He never thought about it. This is years ago. And now all of a sudden, he stumbled upon it. Look, it happened to open this book. I'm sure he had many, many chronicles. Many books I happened to open this book, and it happens to be read. So we call it, it happened. It happened. He, he happened to stumble upon this. It's not really anything which is extraordinary or miraculous. It looks like what we do call a mitziah. It looks like he found something, but it's not really finding something. It's like sometimes people say, you know, you're looking through old records. You ah, look what I found. So it was always there. Yeah, but I, I forgot about it. You didn't, forget, you didn't lose the records. You knew where the records are. You just had to look at your files for 10 years. Anyway, yeah, look at my files for 10 years. Look at this. How cute. A, a note that the kids brought home from school 10 years ago is so cute. So people speak like that. So the Gemara is not so happy about that. The, the Gemara says, yeah, maybe in a level of pshat, you can get away with that. Rashi doesn't say anything, so we're not compelled in a level of pshat to say something. But the Gemara says, no, there's something much, much more going on over here. The Gemara says, what do you mean? My name is a kosov. You might kosov. How can you be a matzai kosov? So the Gemara asks, by you must say kosov, once again, what tips off the Gemara is the tense being used. If you want to say that he found something written because he had been forgotten, so therefore it was found, right? You get away with that. That's, that, that can work. What can't work, though, is the grammar. You know, the grammar is very exact in the Scripture. And here the grammar is wrong. Why? Because it says... Vayamatse kosuv seems to indicate that it was being written now. Rashi says Vayumatse kosuv mashma shahoyah kosuv me'khodosh. Rashi says it seems it was being written. He, f- he found it. It was just written. Just written. How can it just be written? It's, it, but kosav mashma me'khodosh. Was written is indicative of what happened prior. This is many years ago. It was written. But here it's not was written. Here it's, it's being written. It's been written, as if now it's been written. Vaymatse Kosov, Saif, as a cardinal in front of he suddenly found that it was written in front of him as if it had been written now. So the Gemara is disturbed. The Gemara says there must be something being taught to us. So the Gemara and Tesvav, Amid Bez, moves into Tes Zion, Amid Aleph, on the top of page 16. The Gemara says, Ah, let me tell you what's really going on over here. What's really going on here is that there was a guy whose name was Shimshai. And Shimshai Moichik. Shimshai was busy erasing the story. He was erasing the story. The Gavriel Kasev and the Archangel Gabriel, he's writing. Shimshai erases, Gavriel writes. Shimshai erases, Gavriel writes. What's going on over here? What does this mean that Shimshai erases and Gavriel writes? Who is Shimshai? So we take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, Shimshai. Shimshai is Seifer Hamelach. Shimshai is not the reader. Shimshai is the scribe. Shimshai is there in the middle of the night, strangely enough. And Shimshai is busy erasing the words that Mordechai saved the king. Seini Yisrael haya, Rashi says. He was an anti Semite, a hater of Israel. And then Rashi goes on to tell us that this no goodnik was up to this for a long time, back in the days of the king Korish. When Korish allowed the Beis HaMikdash to be rebuilt, he was the one who brought the case against the Jewish people. He was the one who had written up the brief that the Beis HaMikdash should be stopped, and it was stopped. So this Shimshai was still at it, and now Shimshai is trying not to write, but to erase what had already been written so that Mordechai would not get the credit. Now, of course, the obvious question is, like, how did Shimshai even get to the book? How, how does this even make sense? Ahasuerus is in his bed. He can't fall asleep. He calls his people. He says, read to me. It's not Shimshai because we see the people said, he asked them later, what was done for this guy, Mordechai? They said, nothing. So it couldn't be Shimshai because Shimshai wouldn't have defended Mordechai. Shimshai is, the, is, Rashi says, he is Sefer HaMelech. He's the writer. But now he brought the readers. The readers were reading, right? The He didn't say, write something for me. He said, read something for me. So so what does it mean then when it says that Shimshai was a racing? How could he have done that in front of the king? So so this question is asked by the Mepharsham. The Ben Yehoyada explains the Gemara in the following manner. And incidentally, this this idea is found in many, many Mepharsham. That it says two things. That there is Sefer Zechreinus and Divra Hayamim, Chronicles and Book of Remembrances. They're not the same. This is the way the Ben Yehoyada explains it. He says that The Sefer was, or the Book of Remembrances, was where everything was written in short. Just the synopsis of the day. This is what happened on this day in the royal court. This is what happened on this day in the royal court. It was not detailed notes, just like general synopsis. And then the second set of books, those were the detailed books. That was called the Chronicles. That was the minutes of every meeting. Who said what, how it was said, when somebody responded, when the vote was taken. All the details of exactly what happened in Ahasuerus' court were written down, down to the milli detail. That's where Prate were. So the Ben Yoda says, laila at night, the king can't sleep. So there was people. Who are these people? What? It says, uh, the king asked for his books to be read, and then it says, Vayemir HaMelech Manasayikar. In verse 3, it says, what did the king say? What was done for him? Vayemir Nare HaMelech. The young lads, Misharsov, his attendants. So these attendants, young lads. That's not the Sefer hamelch It's not the official stenographer, the official historian of the royal court. These were just some kids, people he trusted, his aides or assistants, were right there. So that wasn't Shimshai. They were. He wasn't the reader. Shimshai, as Rashi said, is, is the writer. So he was sitting with the royal records. The royal records were kept in this inner sanctum. I guess the. The king had his royal bedroom, and next to his royal bedroom, he had a royal study. And the royal study, that's where the records were kept. And Shimshai was in the adjacent room in the royal study. Middle of the night, he was there. And what happened is when the king sent for the book of remembrances for the Sefer of which was going to be the synopsis, he had to be waiting with the chronicles in case the king wanted more details. It's like, you know, today on the internet, you can read sometimes a synopsis or something, and if you want to know more details, you have to click on it. Well, there was no clickable option. So the clickable option was Shimshai. He was next door. He would have to bring the book. Nachashver said, they would say, book AR692. Okay, right, let's go through his files, his huge uh, shelves, and find the file, and you bring the file in. And there all the details would be shared. So the ben Yayoda says, he heard Shimshai overheard, that they're reading this particular narrative. And he knew the narrative. And then Ahasuerus asked, I want details. There's no details. It just says there was, there was two bad people. They, were ve- they, they penetrated the inner core of Ahasuerus' circle. They were really right there at the threshold. They could have killed him. Somebody said something and, and he would, you know, the king was saved. king said, somebody said? Who was that? As we learned in our previous class, Ahasuerus started to think, maybe Haman's out to get me. And he had a nightmare that Haman was over him with a sword. And then he started thinking, one second. He's like, him and Esther, they're too close. This, this guy thinks he's in charge now. I have to cut him down to size. And then Ahasuerus says, maybe the dream is true. Maybe he's coming after to get me, he wants to kill me. And he remembers, there was, maybe something happened once. Somebody tried to kill me, and somebody I bet you there's somebody out there who might be able to help me, but he probably is not going to bother helping me because I maybe didn't take care of him last time. Maybe he's even angry at me. So, Achashverosh is having all these thoughts in his head. (laughs) He wants to know what's going on now. And he, all of a sudden, is suspecting Haman. Haman is quickly falling out of favor. The politics are shifting very, very quickly. So, Achashverosh wants to know more details. Shimshai is Haman's son. Because Haman's sons kept the records. He's next door. He hears Achashverosh say, Click! AR692! I want to hear the details of that story. Uh Uh-oh. So, Shimshai immediately... Starts to quickly erase Mardechai's name, so when the details come in, it'll be nameless details. I won't say who. It doesn't matter who. There was a, a chamberlain, a minister, a parliamentarian. Somebody looked out for the king. And as Shimshai erased, Gavriel wrote. Shimshai erased, Gavriel wrote. In the Ene Yitzchak. He has a different interpretation of this. He says, obviously, it could not be he was erasing it in front of Ahasuerus. That's ridiculous. How could he do that? Ahasuerus would say, hey, what are you doing? You're erasing things? And it's not even like today. It was no pencil. This was written in ink. To erase it, you have to get a scalpel out. <laughs> How could you erase something? Ahasuerus would get even more curious. What did you just erase? Who, whose name did it say? What did it say that you decided to take out? I mean, for all you know, Ahasuerus was throw into a raging and have him killed on the spot. So he, the any Yitzchok suggests that Shimshai had erased this, went back into the records, and doctored the records earlier. He took out Mordechai's name. He said, in case ever, somebody should want to know who saved the king, it wasn't Mordechai. Make sure the Jews don't get any credit. Gavriel rewrote it. And now Gavriel, who was also sometimes said to be the master of dreams, or nightmares, who now had arrived, so to speak, proverbially, to torment Achashverosh and give nightmares of Haman coming after him with a sword, so they couldn't sleep. Gavriel, so to speak, ratified or rewrote what he wrote. It was like fresh, and that's why it says the b'matzakasuv, written. But the, the, any David's, the, the, uh, any Yitzchok's uh, approach is hard to, to accept because if it was written earlier, it's written earlier. But what, what the what what the Ben Yodah says makes a tremendous sense. There is two sets of books: this chronicles, this books of remembrance. This way, Shimshai would be next door. Shimshai would hear this. He would erase, and Gavriel would write. This is pretty amazing. Now, if you want to know, it gets even better. Not only is this the case that that uh, Shimshai is erasing and he is writing, so to speak, here on Earth. So let me share with you what the Alchichmoni says. The Alchichmoni says very very clearly: me boy. He says, Clear. So in that case, would you call that an overt miracle? I would call it an overt miracle. If an angel starts coming and writing letters and books, that's pretty miraculous. Mm-hmm. That, that's not nature. So the, book, the talking book, is ah. we have talking books today. A, a book that writes itself? A malach, an angel coming and writing? It's not an obvious miracle. It seems pretty obvious to me. The Alshech, Rabbein Moshe Alshech, says something very interesting. He says that if you look in the pasuk, it says, "Asher Higid Mordechai that Mordechai said, "Al of Vaseresh." Big son of seresh What's the name of the would-be assassin? Big son. The other guy, Seresh. Why does he say Bigsona? Big son of seresh and if you go back to chapter 2, I think it's verse 23, we'll see in a minute, where the original story is recorded, it doesn't say big son of a seresh It says in verse 21 exactly what's written later big son and Seresh. Mordechai finds out. Mordechai tells uh, Esther. Mordechai tells Esther. So the end of the second chapter is really what we're going back to now, which happens a long time, years before the story. Now over there it says it doesn't say "katzav big son of aseresh." There it says "big son of aseresh." How come now, in verse three, in verse two of chapter six, is it say "big son of aseresh"? So the Masas Moshe, the Alshach, says something absolutely unbelievable. He says, Haman's children, they were the scribes. Shimshai was one of Haman's children. He had many children, as we learned, like scores of children. Ten were hung, but he had many children. So Haman's children wanted to minimize, downgrade the story. They said, how could they downgrade the story? If you have an intelligence agent who provides information, And that information leads to the arrest and the conviction of a would-be assassin. So what would give the would-be agent the most credit? And I give you a multiple choice. If he gave you clear information or vague information, which would be a more powerful or appreciated kind of intelligence, vague information or clear information? Obviously clear. Mordechai gave very clear information. He said, two guys right there on the threshold in the inner circle. Their names are Big Son and Seresh. So what did, what did the children of Haman do when they recorded this? They didn't know about genocide yet. They still hated the Jews, They were anti-Semites. They want to make it look good. So they wrote Big Sun, O-I-Seresh. In Hebrew, the letters Aleph Vav mean Or. Big Sun or Seresh. In other words, Mordechai didn't give such good information. He gave vague information. It was Big Son Orseresh. We're not sure exactly who it was. So that the one who reads it later will see that the information wasn't so clear, that Ahasuerus had to do his own investigation. It was a tip, but nothing more than a tip. He got tipped off. and therefore, And therefore, they basically wrote the story, the narrative, down in counterfeit fashion in order to minimize the zghus, the merit of Mordechai. This was about minimizing Mordechai's merit. So what did Hashem do? They wrote Oi. Hashem rearranged the words. That it said, big son of Va seresh. He put space between the "oi." He took the aleph and sent it back to big son. Took the vav and he added on to seresh. Why didn't just erase it? I don't know. But that's what he says. That's also pretty Miraculous. Now, this you could say, okay, he made a mistake. They meant to write Big Son Oy, but they forgot to make the spacing was off. Maybe. Clearly, we know that Shimshai wanted to erase this. And to begin with, they never even wanted to write the story. They wanted to minimize it in any way they possibly could. The Ma'am Lois adds that they were hoping that if the story ever gets dealt with, Mordechai could also get the guilt of having an innocent person die because they said it wasn't Big Son and Seresh. Who did the king kill, Big Son and Seresh? Why? Because Mordechai said, no, 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 it no, was one of them. Kill them both. Whose fault is it? Achashverosh never take blame. He said, "Well, I, I acted on the information I had." Mordechai said, "We had vague information. It was well, life at stake. I'd killed them both." So again, it further minimizes Mordechai's merit. I mean, he he seems kind of Hashem yatsa HaDover. He says this is like an act of God. Okay, maybe not an overt miracle. Maybe just an act of God. Borderline overt miracle. But one thing's for sure: a talking book overt miracle. I know that you know. Alkachimori wants to downplay it. It's not so, It's not the first time. It's happened already. Happened for a smaller reason, yes, but in a time when miracles were happening regularly on a daily basis, it doesn't fit with the narrative. It doesn't fit with the story of Purim. Doesn't fit with the theme of the Megillah. And then we have this bigger miracle where an angel comes and writes what a person erases. There's another medrash that says that Shimshai kept opening books, and he kept trying to turn the page. Go to another story. And Akhashver said, hey, why well, you turn the page too quickly over there? Why would you run that scroll so fast? He said, ah, nothing. It's just silly. Let's just move on. Oh, no, no, Akhashver said. And every time we try to move away, somehow the scroll shifted back. You want to take that? That's also miraculous. There's a book that's got a mind of its own. I know we have a movie about a car that has a mind of its own. But a book that has a mind of its own? The book the pages turn? It's downright spooky. And if there are pages or scrolls, it was like scrolling itself, kept scrolling itself back. And he keeps switching. So this is really an overt miracle. And the question that I'm asking, that I'm posing to you today is, how does that fit into the theme of the whole Megillah narrative? David Feinstein has a very interesting suggestion. He says, you know, that's a kind of miracle that nobody would have known about. Who would know, except for Shimshai, if he erased it and it got rewritten? Only Shimshai would know. Who would he tell? (laughs) He's not gonna gonna make the Jews look good. He's not gonna know what kind of miracle happened for them. He'd never tell anybody. You know that ridiculous joke of the rabbi goes golfing on Shabbos? And he gets a hole in one and the angels say, God, how could you do it? The rabbi sinned when golfing on Shabbos. And the rabbi, God, chuckled and he says, who's the rabbi gonna tell? (laughs) Who's Shimshai gonna tell? Mm -hmm. Hey guys, you know these Jews are amazing. Miracles, I'm telling you. I saw it in my own hand. They would never tell anybody. The anti-Semites wouldn't tell anybody about these miracles. There's a famous, he quotes a, 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 a czarist uh, official who once asked a question of Rabbi Itzel of And he said to him, it says that, goyim um, shabchu the nations will praise God for Hashem's kindness was overpowering. He said, why would the nations, why would we praise God for you? You praise God for you. We should praise God for you. So the Bichlava Alajna said, he says, we don't even know the miracles. Only you know how many bad things you try to do to us. And God stopped it. He said, you know the miracles. You're not telling anybody. When Mashiach will come, you'll sing about it. And this is the approach he takes. He takes this approach that that uh, these were miracles, you cannot deny it. The Gemara says, the Akhachimani says, over miracles. says, miracles that nobody would know about. So with all due respect to the David, and he is due much respect, I don't understand that answer. And I don't understand the answer for the simple reason that it, it's not as if there's a game where God's playing with us, that he doesn't want us to see miracles. We, we have understood the story of the Megillah that it's, It's intrinsically about God's presence not being revealed. It's intrinsically about God not meddling directly. It's a nes Melubish B'teva. It's a miracle that doesn't break nature, but rather manipulates and works within the frame of nature. It's not just that God doesn't want us to know about these miracles. Why does God care if we know? It's a a hide-and-go-seek game where God, God tried to hide from us. The way we have learned the, the Megillah, especially as Hasidus illuminates it, there's the concept of a ness, of miracle, of that which is paranormal, that which is beyond nature, which shatters nature, which breaks what's called marach mm-hmm. ateva the orbit and, and frame of nature is shattered and broken, and that's one level. And then there's another level of miracle, a much loftier level, a much more profound level of a miracle, where the miracle is able to operate within the frame of nature. Nature doesn't have to be broken, and the miracle still happens. If you'll remember, I gave you the metaphor of a person who comes into a company where that's in total disarray. That person puts the company back on its feet. Everybody talks about him. It's an amazing person. It's an incredible feat. When I was a kid, I remember Chrysler was going down and a guy named Lee Iacocca came in there. Right? Do you remember this? And he turned the whole place over and everybody was raving about Lee Iacocca. And they talked about him being a, pres- a president. Uh, who knows where, where he's going to go next. I don't know where he went next, but that, that, was, that was the talk at the time. Now imagine you could have a Lee Iacocca who gets parachuted into a company like Chrysler that's failing, and he turns the company around and nobody knows his name. Nobody knows he exists. He's a shadow guy. Secret. Nobody knows. Who would be the more effective of the two? Which deed would be more impressive? Obviously the second. To do all this without even being noticed? So this is like a metaphor to understand the notion of God doing miracles that doesn't break nature, but this certainly does break nature. It's just that nobody's talking about it. But it breaks nature. It's not as if as if it just so happened that the, this book was supposed to be burnt last week, and you just said, you know what? Somebody mistakenly left a book on the shelf, and then mistakenly somebody mistakenly took the book and mistakenly it happened to open up. It fell open to this page. That would be called nature. But a book getting erased and an angel rewriting it—that's not nature. When you have when you have a you have a, a reality where, where the book reads itself, with the, the voice is coming out. That's a miracle. It, it may not be such a big miracle. It may not be a miracle that's unprecedented. It's still a miracle. So it doesn't fit into the thesis. So what if nobody else knows about it? That's the question I'm asking. And I think that the answer is to be found based on something we talked about in our previous class. In our previous class, we talked about the, the Rebbe quotes uh, Yalquot Shemayni. That says that a Malach came and smacked Achashverosh off his bed. And smacked him around 365 times. Now this doesn't say it in the scripture. So it's not, it's a, a Madrashic idea. But in the scripture, these are like quite literal. This alluded to in the scripture. Here it's not so, so much alluded to. And he, and he said, and he wouldn't let him sleep. And he screamed, Kfutayvah, Kfutayvah. You ingrate, you ingrate. Don't do a favor to somebody who, who did you a favor. So as we said in other Midrashim, what Achish started to think is, I think Haman's out to get me. I think Haman became too powerful. I have to shift the balance of power. I can't, this is too much. He now, now he thinks he's the king. And, and maybe there's somebody who should be telling me. And maybe he really is coming to kill me. And maybe, maybe that's why I'm having this bad dream. And I am an ingrate. And somebody didn't help me. And somebody saved my life last time. And I bet you they know about what Allah's planning. And they're not coming this time. Because <laughs> I didn't show appreciation. So this is all in the subconsciousness. A medrash that's not alluded to in the scripture doesn't have to be taken literally. It means the malach smacked him. It could be he was tossing to and fro. A malach tossed him to and fro. But the Rebbe nonetheless asked the question, and we talked about this last week, that if you have Pa'ulas ha-malach, if you have a malach coming and doing something, so l'chayda, in that case, it's no longer in the frame of nature. What's going on over here? And the whole idea of the story of Purim is that the world as it is should be rotated or transformed. There should be a sublimation taking place within the world itself. That nature, instead of concealing God, should now lend itself to the purposes of the Jewish people performing their mission, doing their job. So the Rebbe explained it by the basis of a story. And the story is that the Alter Rebbe was imprisoned and he wanted to do Kiddush Levana. He has a little ferry that took him across. A little three-minute ferry, not a big deal. I was on that boat. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a long trip. It's like from the Billy Bishop Airport downtown. It's really, it's like, it's right there. And the Alter Rebbe says to the fellow, stop the boat, I want to be in the take Kiddush Levana. And the guy says, <laughs> excuse me, you're a prisoner. You don't tell me what to do. And the boat stops and they can't budget. And the guy says to the altar Rebbe, what did you want? I want you to stop the boat. And the boat starts going in, then he stops the boat. Alt Rebbe stands up, he says, Kiddush Levana," in that month. So that you, that, that's, that's the story. And the obvious question, Friedrich Rebbe asks. So like, if the altar Rebbe could stop a boat and do Kiddush Levana, so just stop the boat, he plays the whole game. He asks the guy to stop it. The guy doesn't want to stop the boat. So then he stops it by himself. Then, after he stops it, now will you stop it? Well, now that I say you, you can stop it, I'll stop it, fine. So he stops and Al saysK. What's the point. What's the point? If you're a miracle worker, if you have mastery over the physical, material, ordinary reality, if you can change the tub- sub- subatomic structure, or however you do these, these paranormal deeds, so just do it. And the explanation is that the whole idea of doing a mitzvah is that it shouldn't be done by virtue of a miracle. It should be done by virtue of nature. Otherwise, you have mitzvahs in Gan Eden. Not, That's not the point. The point of mitzvahs should be done here, within the frame rules of here, of nature. And therefore, the Rebbe said, the same is true with Ahasuerus, that ultimately, the bitul haqzada, the renunciation or the, the, the annulment of this decree of genocide against the Jewish people has to come from who? From Ahasuerus himself. He has to make that decision. And it has to all be, so to speak, dressed up within the frame of nature. So, so t- that's, and, that, and that's, we, we, did, we, um, we talked about this last week, last class. So I was thinking that the same idea really applies here as well. Ultimately, ultimately, the book reading itself, it's not a, it's not a, a miracle that had to be. It's not like if the book wouldn't read itself, the person wouldn't read it. Or maybe what happened is these people didn't want to read there. So what happened? It started reading itself. Started reading itself. So they started reading. There's no option. They started reading. Shimshai is trying to erase, and it keeps getting rewritten. He gives up. In other words, it's not really the shattering of nature. It's allowing. It's kind of redirecting nature. It's like redirecting Shimshai. Shimshai, stop what you're doing. He erases. It gets written again. He erases. It gets At some point, he realizes, <laughs> stop erasing. Gavriel only rewrote what was written originally. And interestingly, that's what's so compelling about what the Aalshech says. If Gavriel rewrote it, why wouldn't Gavriel rewrite it, big son of Aseresh? Why did they leave it the big son of Aseresh? Because they just rewrote what was already there. Just spaced it a little different. Just moved the Aleph over, moved the Vav over, so it says big son of Aseresh. It's not really a miracle per se, it's still manipulating or moving with nature. And when Shimshai sees this happening, eventually Shimshai stops erasing. He has no choice. And when, when they see the book reading itself, it wasn't even an option. They got the scroll, and the scroll opens up, and it starts to read. So they picked up from there. It doesn't, say, it doesn't mean that um, they, they continued, right? Because if you remember, one of the interpretations is Vayihiyu Nekroim. Vayihiyu means immediately, right? The Masha says it should have been a It says vayu, It should have been Vayihiyu. Uh, the other, other you know, it says, vayi Vayu means right away." It was it right away?" So it means the moment the book came before they could start talking, it would take probably years to read through all the chronicles. Had they happen to come to this chronicle, The book opens up, scroll opens up and starts reading by itself. So it was a no-brainer. So the people there reading, the reader just continue where you started reading. In other words, it really wasn't a shattering of nature per se. Ultimately, the miracle did happen through natural means. Shimshai stopped erasing at some point. Achashverosh was forced to get up and confront the situation. They didn't read the story, well, because they got nudged. But the power of a nudge does not mean that you actually coerce people to do something. There's a colleague of mine who made a very interesting speech recently about the power of a nudge. And he says, The Koech of Lubavitch has the power of a nudge. What? You see, a Yid, excuse me, are you Jewish? Did you put on film today? Did you make a bracha on Luluvneserik? Did you hit a Megillah today? Who makes the decision to do it, ultimately? You do. So what does, what does the chassid do? Not a nudge, a nudge. He's a little nudge, a little nudge, a little push. And he used the following parable. He said there was a time in the mid-60s that a famous company called Pepto-Bismol was going out of business. They weren't, they needed to, the sales were falling and they needed desperately to increase sales. And that's when they created the jingle. Plip, plop, something. Oh, what a relief it is. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. How does it go? Alka-Seltzer. Huh? Alka- Alka-Seltzer, not Alka-Seltzer, no? So what was it? What was the, do you remember? Something like? Yeah. Plip, plop, oh, what a... What did they do? Along with this marketing campaign, they created a new thing of Alka-Seltzer. They started to package two Alka-Seltzers in the same little package they used to be in the same pouch the truth is you don't need two Alka-Seltzers one Alka-Seltzer does the job and they never wrote that you need two Alka-Seltzers because then they can get sued for false advertising it's a power of suggestion who opened up a pouch with one Alka-Seltzer and there was, a, and you're feeling lousy and didn't throw the second one in the answer is nobody everybody threw the second one in and if you ever take an Alka-Seltzer you always throw the second one in but you don't need it. Nobody said you needed it. You did you weren't doing it. They used to come in single pouches. But the power of suggestion was so great that overnight the sales doubled. Mm-hmm. Because everybody who was using one alka seltzer was not using two alka seltzers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a like, right? So this is a colleague of mine, Rabbi Yitsuk Shachat from, from London. This 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 was his this was his like his his his, his creative bent on it. He says, You see, this is what it ever did. Power of suggestion. This is all, the, sorry, all the the mitzvah campaigns, it's a power of suggestion. Come to a Yitzch. Excuse me. Put on film mm. today. All right, I'll put on film. Here's a little vanessic. Here's a little vanessic. Okay, I'll make a bracha, a little vanessic. Oh, you have a Megillah? You mean you make, you're coming in? Okay, fine. Ultimately, you make the decision. I, I can't force anybody to put on film. I'm pretty good at sales, but I can't force anybody. <laughs> you know, if you... Like, like a week ago, I was walking in to take a family at a shiva, and, uh, and I'm on the phone with somebody from out of town, and I see this guy, but I, like sometimes you just know somebody's Jewish, like I know he's Jewish, like we lock eyes, and I'm like, I'm like on the phone like this, and I'm like, <laughs> and he looks at me, and I go, and we just like sign language, I'm still talking, and like, just rolls the sleeve up, and we're putting our phone in the hall, and I continue with the conversation on the phone, <laughs> and we hang up, the guy says to me, hey, Rabbi, you should be a salesman. (laughs) I go, funny you say that. (laughs) I said, but I have to believe in my product. I said, I I believe in this. I can sell it. I can't force anybody to do anything. None of us can force anybody. We do not believe in Khomeiniism. That's a different uh, faith system. We don't believe in coercion at all. What do we believe in? The power of suggestion. We believe in inspiration. We believe in guidance. We believe in a nudge, a little nudge. Who does it ultimately? You do it. And this, my dear friends, I think is the pshat of the hidden miracles here. They really, I think the question, David's question, I think is misplaced. and I think his answers are unnecessary. And I think ultimately the answer doesn't even answer the question. Because if David is introducing this whole idea based on the notion of whether we knew or didn't know. That's not the meaning of nes, Malubish Bateva. Nes, Malubish Bateva means it is nature. Ah, how do you understand this? It says nature, a talking book, a, re, a self-writing book. It's a nudge. It's a nudge. It's a suggestion. At the end of the day, it was using nature and the proof of it is, what's, what's my proof? My proof is in the Alshach. Because even when it was rewritten, what was rewritten? Big son of a left over the original writing. Just moving the Aleph and Vav apart. Which could even be the original writer. Mistakenly put an extra space in. Which tips you off to what their intentions were. And makes you appreciate what happened. They meant to be big son of Aseresh, And they were Shnei you And they were Mishremet Asaf. They were Chamberlains. They were right in there, guarding the threshold. And they were Bikshel, they were trying to knock Achashverosh down. So Achashverosh says, Vayemet HaMelech, the king says, "Ma Nasa Yikor What was done? Yikor is translated in various ways. I've seen it translated as uh, honor or majesty or, or glory or privilege. Whatever. Your car certainly is about, is about honor or about, about, about the person reaching prominence or having deep respect or being very held in high esteem. That's what your car is. And Gdullah is greatness. So, what is greatness? I think uh, the Vilni Garden says your car is covered and Gdullah is money. Some people want fame and some people want the cash. One guy says, you know what? <laughs> he says, you take the check, I'll take the cash. You, know, okay? <laughs> you, take, you take the fame, I'll. Well, how, sorry, how does it go? You take the credit, I'll take the cash. Mm-hmm. So the credit is the fame, that's the yukur. He's, I'll take the gadula, I'll take the money. Uh, the Malbum puts it a little bit differently. The Malbum says that yukur is at the time. Somebody does something uh, ex- important, powerful, profound, meaningful, effective. He gets respected. The question is so what I get from that? You know, like to say about fame, that in a buck gets me a coffee. What's it do for me? Now, what's it do for you? There's privileges. There's benefits, but the benefits come later. So first comes the fame, then comes the benefits. Right? First, you win the, first you get your gold medal in the Olympics, then you sell advertising. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so the album says, Yukaris Bishaita, is at the time. And so you so say, what was done at the time? Did he get his name published in the newspaper? Did he get like a front page story? Was he, was he held in esteem? Did he get an award? Was he acclaimed in public? Did I make a ball in his honor? Nothing. How about Gedula? Did I give him a new position? Does he have special privileges? Did he, did he get a payoff? What did he get for it? Ahasuerus is asking. Ahasuerus himself doesn't even, he barely remembers the story. Now it's like coming back to him. He doesn't remember if he did or didn't do something good. Ah, oh, Ahasuerus is asking. So Ahasuerus says, funny, doesn't it say anything about the reward. It just says he saved my life. There's no record of what was done. So what could the people have said? What could these people have said, Achashverosh? We don't know. Oh, okay, fine. What did they answer? What was done for him? What did the young lads, the attendants, say? Nothing. Absolutely nothing was done for him. Why did they say that? This helps Mordechai, doesn't it? Why would they want to help Mordechai? Weren't they all a bunch of anti-Semites? The Gemara says, yeah, they were. So why did they want to help Mordechai? So the Gemara says something unbelievable. The Gemara says, from this we see something very interesting. It says, Linasi me Amar Rava, Rava says, Laimipne Oi Havinas Mardechai. Not because they love Mardechai. This wasn't a love of Mordechai. Rather, Elamipneh is Haman. They hated Haman. Initially, they were anti-Semites. They couldn't stand Mordechai, they, they, they begrudged Mardichai. They didn't like Mardechai. At a certain point, Haman started to abuse his powers. Haman started coming down at them. He was looking down at them. He put them down. So they resented Haman's power. Especially that the night before, Haman was the only minister invited to a private dinner with the queen and the king. That bugged him. This is Esther's magic at work. All of her things that she thought of, the whole nine-point strategy, every one of them came true. This was another stunning miracle. People come up with strategies. You don't know what's going to happen. So Esther had many thoughts. Every single one of them happened. Esther said, you know what's going to happen? Achashvera, started to say, hmm, I wonder. Maybe Esther and Achashver- Haman have something going. Why are they so close? Achashvera started to be suspectful. Achashvera started to think, maybe Haman's after my crown. Esther said, maybe he'll think that. He did. Esther said, let me incite jealousy so the other parliamentarians, so the other ministers will be jealous of Haman, and they won't be quick to help him. That's exactly what happened. Faster than Esther could have imagined. Esther has no idea that that night the king is going to be reading the story. She has no idea that the next day Haman is planning to hang Mordecai the next morning. But a Kaddish Baruch runs the world. So Just in the nick of time, he arranges it. That just as Esther had thought, but not in any way that you could have imagined. On steroids. They said, enough of this Haman guy. It's time to have a shift of power. The politics have to change here a little. And how would they neutralize Haman? What's the best way to undo Haman's influence? He his Arch Enemy. That's still how politics works. You see it going on in Washington all the time. This one goes down, that one goes up. It's a bang. It's a balance of power. It's a game. So they're, pl- they're playing the game. These, these guys, you know, it's like, uh, you better be friends with, with, the, with the people on the inside. There's a story told, and, and I have no way of corroborating this if it's true, but it makes sense, of a certain company that suddenly began to experience sagging sales, and nobody could figure, they brought experts in, nobody could figure out what was going wrong. They were doing the same methodologies, it was the same sales salespeople, the sales were sagging. Finally, one expert realized there was only one thing that had changed in the company. What was that? The front desk, the receptionist. The receptionist had a lousy manner. She was, she was not courteous... She was not friendly, she was not nice, she was very brusque, Very professional, but very brusque. And because of her brusque nature, she turned people off. And nobody figured out what was going on there. <laughs> that made all the difference. So you want to know the guys on the inside. Sometimes, sometimes it's not, you don't want to know the, 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 the vice president. You don't want to know the, the, the uh, undersecretary of the CEO. You want to know the receptionist. Because mm-hmm. Haman managed to get on these guys' bad side. And these guys... You know, they say, cat can they say the cat can spoil everything. These guys said we had enough of Haman. Enough of him. So they said the king said, What did, what happened with Mardechai? He said, yeah, nothing. Nothing nothing was done. They didn't have to say that. They said, we don't know. So nothing was done because they wanted to discredit Haman. So here is our Esther's it's working like a charm now, exactly what Esther had wanted and hoped is gonna happen. So so here. We have a situation where Haman fell, where fell asleep. Uh, Achashverosh. Achashverosh in his dream sees Haman with a sword above him. So he is not happy with Haman. The people who are sitting there reading the books, they're not happy with Haman. Haman has no clue. He's walking into this trap totally unaware that everything had just shifted underneath his ground. And, and right now a parliamentarian is going to be rewarded and that's going to cause the downfall of the prime minister. It's almost unheard of in the annals of, of governance that a parliamentarian, an ordinary parliamentarian is going, to be, is going to be raised, honored. And the next day, the prime minister hangs. We've heard this thing. But that's what's happening here. And it's a miracle. All dressed up in nature, like we dress up on Purim. It's all concealed. It all looks like something else. Now, in the, in the, with regard to what he says... That that, that 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 they said it was it was not because they loved Mordechai but rather because they hated Haman. The question is, how do you know that? So, I mean, the first, the simplest thing: how do you know that? Because he said, They didn't have to say anything. However, others go further and say like this: the king said in the in the language of the scripture, he said, "Ma inasa yokar What was done? He asked for the two things. Remember, we talked about two things. Fame and money, privilege and, and, and notoriety. Okay, so today and tomorrow, what was done? So what should they have answered? They should have answered, Neither. Really, he's, he's deserving of both. Instead, they said, You didn't do anything with him. It's, like it's, not, it's not really such an explicit answer. The king asked for a, ex, an explicit question. He didn't say what was done. If you would say what was done, the answer is nothing. Nothing. Okay, nothing done. He didn't say nothing. He didn't say what. He said, Ma nasa yukor He was very pointed in his question. So he's pointed in his question. They should have been pointed in their response. This is not your buddy. This is the king. He may be wearing pajamas, but he's still the monarch. And so, strangely, they answered him, Eh, nothing. And the fact that they did that, that indicates that they weren't so keen on seeing Mordechai rewarded as much as they were keen on seeing Haman made uncomfortable. They wanted the prime minister to squirm him a little. That's really what they were out for. Now the Mamleches quotes other Mufarshim would say they heard Haman coming in the, in the doorway. They were afraid of Haman. They were terrified of him. They didn't want to mention Mordechai's name. They thought Haman might be able to overhear, because the very next verses, "Vayemar hamelach mi b'chutzah." Who's, in the, who's out there in the courtyard? And the, the, the scripture says, the Haman Hummen book. Haman's there. How did the king know somebody was there? Was he fee-fi-fo-fum? Was he thumping in the thing? How, how did he know? So clearly, Haman penetrated the very end. He had the keys. He was right in there where you could already hear footsteps. If you could hear footsteps, it makes sense what the Amla is a saying. You could hear what they're saying. You would overhear the conversation. So the king says, what was done? He thunders, angry. What was done? And then he, said, he couldn't respond and say what was done. like nasa And then Haman walks in, and then Haman will blame them. So he said, nothing was done with him. When Haman walks in, he still thinks it's about him, because he's Mister Geocentricity. The whole world revolves around him. And when the king says, Haman, let me ask you a question. What do you think we should do with somebody that the king wants to give you karukdula? And Haman says, Let me, let me, Who else could the king want to give you karukdula except me? It's not possible. So in his mind, he says, put him on a horse, lead him through the town. And Ahasuerus is just thinking, this guy wants to ride my horse. <laughs> this guy wants my crown. And he says to him, excellent, do it to Mardechai. And this is the end. Because okay. all of a sudden, Haman, the prime minister, is leading a common, not even a minister, a parliamentarian. And the next thing, he's going to be hanging. That, that night, he's finished already. So this is how the whole story unfolds. What you really could see over here is, a, in a very, very compelling way, how how the miracle unfolded in the terms of nature. Even with the miraculous events that nudge things along, they were but a nudge. And ultimately, the the, the real the story here, the talk, even talk facial even the beginning of the full reversal of the tables are turned. It happens in a subtle way, and it happens ultimately using nature all along, all along. Everything just happens to fit in perfectly, and this, of course, reminds us that divine intervention happens just in time, just when it has to happen. All right, so that's where we'll uh, break for now. And Bezrat Hashem, well, we'll continue. So then we'll start the conversation where the, the king says, "Who's in the chotzer?" The b'al chotzer be'samela chachitseina. Haman comes to the outer courtyard, and why did he come for? Lamer literally says Mardukai. He came to say, hang Mardochai. That's what he came for. That's what he came for. But uh, that's not what's going to happen. See, because Zeresh told him, wait till the morning. And this is where Haman's arrogance and his hatred overtook him. And this proved to be his undoing. It's like, like, says, what is with this guy? In the middle of the night he's coming? What's he coming in the middle of the night for? What's he up to? There's some kind of scheming going on over here. So this keeps adding fuel to the fire that's raging in Chacheshveresh's mind. And they said, It's Haman here. He's Aymed the The king says, Haman is here. Now in context of everything you know, the king says, Let him come. (laughs) Haman is here. I'll show him. He thinks he's in control. He thinks he's running the government. Bring Bring it on, Haman. Let Haman enter. And of course, Haman comes in and now everything is going to turn on its face. And Haman's downfall is very, very swift. Like uh, 12 hours later, Haman is swinging from the gallows. When you read it and see how he thinks of himself. Oh, you see Haman's arrogance is unbelievable. But, but the amazing thing is when you, when you understand the whole background of what Ahasuerus is thinking and, and how this is a setup, Haman unwittingly walks into the trap. And everything he says makes it worse. Even the timing is terrible. In the middle of the night you're coming, there's one of the Mepharshim says Haman that Ahasuerus dozed off at the word Mordechai. He read the word Mordechai, Ahasuerus dozes off, and then he sees in his image, in his dream, this frightful image of Haman with a sword right above him. So after he said, what did they do for him? He opens it, what did they do for him? And he said, nothing. And he says, who's, in the, who's Mibachatzer? He says, it's Haman. He says, Haman? He says, he really is coming to kill me. <laughs> He's really coming to kill me? It's real true. The dream is true. So this is all going on behind the scenes. And uh, as I said, this, this is the tukvishal nest. This is where the miracle starts to unfold very, very quickly. And as you'll see, the pace is is from this point onward is is to Haman's downfall is indeed very, very swift. To be continued.